Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Praise the Lord. Second Samuel 15, and uh, I would like to begin reading with verse number 19 this evening. The Bible says, Then said the king to Ittai the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? This is David speaking to him. Return to thy place and abide with the king, for thou art a stranger and also an exile. Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us? Seeing I go whither I may, return thou. Take back thy brethren, mercy and truth be with thee. And I answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth and as my lord the king liveth, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. David said to Ittai, Go and pass over. And Ittai the Gittite passed over and all his men and all the little ones that were with him. Amen. Tonight I want to minister, my subject matter is three letters. The letters O-B-O. And hopefully the little tag and money signs helps explain what that is, O-B-O. Have you ever seen that in an ad? Statement of a price and then that be given. Anybody tell me what that is? Or That O-B-O is my oboe. I don't know how you would say it, but... Um, That's my subject matter for a little bit here tonight. Let's pray that God would help us this evening. Father, God, I come to you this evening. I thank you, Lord Jesus, God, for the songs of Zion. I'm thankful, Lord, God, that we can have, Lord, created within our hearts and within our lives, God, that desire, Lord, to live for you. Let not that wane. Let not that fade. Let Let not that pass away. I pray, O oh Lord, bring every mind to the captivity again this evening, Lord, as you did this morning. Let there be, Lord, a refocusing of our attention, God, upon your word, God, upon what, Lord, you would desire to say in this moment in time tonight. God, I pray, Lord, anoint me, Jesus. God, help me, Lord, to declare the word of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, we need, Lord, a fresh touch from heaven. We need, O oh Lord Jesus, fresh manna, Lord, and bread of life, God, to be shared and dispersed, God, in this place. God, I thank you and I praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. Shake a hand or two, if you will, before you're seated. This past Thursday night, I took the kids out to Shopco while my wife was at ladies' meeting. And my main objective was to get an anniversary card for my wife. However, since this wasn't the first trip that me and the kids had ever taken to Shopco, They were a little gung-ho about the possibility of maybe looking around 
particularly maybe in a certain section of the store called toys. And so in preparations for leaving uh, that night, coats were being put on, shoes were found and placed on their feet, what some seemed like the tenth time that has already happened that day. And in addition, as they were getting ready and I was getting ready and I could hear the little talk go back and forth between the kids, I could hear Mariah coaxing Trevor to join any spare change that he had with hers because they're going to Shopco. We arrived at the store, and as you would probably believe, my first priority is to go, and I told them this, I said, the first thing we're going to do is go to the cards. I said, because I need to get a card for your mom and our anniversary, and so first priority, we found ourselves there as soon as you walk into the store, the card section, and uh, we browsed it there till we found the appropriate, perfect card uh, for my dear wife, and then it was shortly thereafter. Uh, we made our trip back to the toy section and the browsing began. And I knew, uh, as only a father can know, that probably compiled in the funds that they would have in Mariah's backpack or that little thing that she brought uh, with change, that that would be very minimal, probably what they had. Because, see, what they got out of there is what they took from us. <laughs> So I knew that they were dealing with a minimal amount of, of, of funds in order to, to, to spend, if you will, at Shopco in the toy section. So with the wisdom of a father that I have, I directed them to these plastic bins, the one, two dollar, three dollar toys that were in Shopco and they started going through there and there were certain things that seemed to be pleasing to them and boy, that's cool, look at that. Although they've seen them. Uh, a gazillion times, you know, re-enamored with all of these, you know, toys. And so they're looking in there and they're searching around and their hands are lingering and they're kind of holding on to some things. And, and so as they find interest in these certain things, one or two things, I, I, I had an afterthought, Brother Mason. I might need to count how much money they really brought. Because interests are being peaked and uh, things are staying in hands. And so I, I said, Mariah, let me look in your bag. And I looked in her bag and I began to count out the money here and there. And I finally got to a tally of a grand total summation between Mar Mariah and Trevor of about 87 or 88 cents. <laughs> now my priority was a card. It wasn't them getting a toy. And so to their disappointment, I informed them. I know this is me now. I informed them while they have these two little goods or whatever it is in their hand, I informed them, you do not have enough money for even one of those items that you've got in your hand. And immediately, Brother Mason, I am dealing with the sorriest faces that you've ever seen in your life. Bummed out kids that thought they were going home with a toy. They were crestfallen. They were disappointed. Amen. Passivity now set in where they were rambunctious. Passivity. I, I'm trying to drag them to the next aisle. You know, shoes are just dragging on the floor. Their shoulders are just bent over. Amen. I'm trying to coax them just to another place just to look. 
you understand that all of that's been deflated. And then, out of nowhere, a bright idea happened. And it was not mine. All of a sudden, as matter-of-factly, if you will, as possible, Mariah suggests that I ask if the store would take less money for those items. And she was serious. And I was thinking, Sister McGee, she has been on too many trips with her mom to the Goodwill and to the yard sales. And I said, Sis, that may work at the Goodwill. And that might work at a yard sale. But that's not going to work here. Now, I didn't know that for as a matter of fact, but I was pretty convinced that was not going to work at Shopco. <laughs> See, in her mind's, her mind's eye, she thought, man, we got a margin of leverage here that we can deal with. I mean, that's, that's not their lowest price. We can deal with this. And I say, my mind, you know, well, Goodwill and Yard Sale and all these other places, man, those places have a stigma for that type of thing. You know, they, they have a character for having, you know, a little margin of adjustment or a little margin of flux that's in there, you know. Uh, any price that's on the label is debatable. If my wife's there, it is. Every price, any label that they got, it's debatable because they're interested in selling something or maybe they're interested in getting rid, interested in getting rid of something more so than they are valuing what they have. Valuing what they have, if you will, at a non-negotiable price for a profit. See, the moment, just, just, just walk with me here just for a moment. The moment someone publishes an ad for an item at $100 and they place those three letters O-B-O -O, after it, they have opened the door for negotiation. They've opened the door for negotiation and perhaps have already forfeited their $100 sale price. Because, unless they're dealing with me, I just feel bad. You know, some be, you nickel and dime people, you know, that's 10 cents. Would you take a nickel for that? I can't do that. It's already a dime. I mean, what more do you want them to pay you for taking it? You know, I just, my wife will do it every day of the week and I'm hiding over in a bush somewhere. I just can't, you know, you, that's a dime. You take a nickel for that. I mean, can, can you take three and a half pennies? Let me get out my water, wire cutters and we'll cut it. You know, I just don't have, I don't have the feelings to be able to do that. But, but you know, if it's $100, it's $100 to me. That's what they said. But, but some people, whenever you put that OBO at the end, that means there's some negotiation room. That means that you're not necessarily sold on that mount. You may take perhaps a little bit less. And for that matter, and this, this kind of goes contrary to the thought pattern, I don't believe there's anybody that has a right to complain about if they'll take less for an item if they've included or best offer. I mean, it just doesn't seem to fit. You're saying $100 or best offer, and they're, they're saying, would you take 95 Well, don't get mad at them. You know, don't get mad at them for asking 95 if you said, or best offer. Amen. But uh, from the realm of the natural to the spiritual, all right, we've had our laughs. From the realm of the natural to the spiritual, in many instances, we've set ourselves up in our walk with God 
We set ourselves up as the church for multiple attacks because we've disclaimed our allegiances to God, to the church, our commitments to God, our commitments to the church with an O-B-O at the end of them. We'll be sold out to it, value it, and prize it. But the moment something a little better, a better offer, a, a new offer on the table comes by, then we're willing to let go of what we called our commitment, what we called our allegiance, because in our eyes, something better has come along the way. For that matter, the enemy of our soul is always trying to find and believes that everybody has a sellout price. The devil's not convinced that you're committed when you say you're committed. He's not convinced that you have your allegiance totally to God when you say you're totally given to the Lord. He believes that everybody has a sellout price and he is on a trip, he is on a journey trying to find our sellout price. Someone say amen. That was the story of Job. That was the story that whenever the sons of God came together before the throne room of God, that Satan also came among them. And it was in that interchange that God asked Satan, Satan, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm going to and fro in the earth. And God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? He's an upright man. He's a perfect man. And Satan says well rightfully so yeah everything's fine with him right now but why wouldn't it be you have a hedge around about Job everything's hunky dory so to speak because you have lines of protection around about Job and so Satan starts plugging away let's see if I can find Job's sellout price he says you, you, you allow me to touch everything that he possesses and everything that he has and he's going to curse you to his face God says fine and well you can take everything touch whatever he has just don't touch his life don't take his life it belongs to me you know the story amen Job amen suffers the loss of livestock suffers the the loss of possessions and goods and family and the Bible says in all of this Job did not sin nor charge God wrongfully what's Job saying he said when I said I'm committed I'm committed there is no OBO at the end of this process price tag Satan says that's alright Job I can find you again the sons of God come before the throne of God and Satan also comes among them and again the Lord asks where have you what have you been to and Satan I've been to and fro again in the earth he says have you considered my servant Job yeah but I already tried to make a deal with him and he didn't take me up on the offer he said but I tell you what if you'll take your hand let me go skin to skin flesh to flesh bone to bone he's going to curse you he's going to he's going to turn his back upon you God said rightfully so I'll remove my hand from there I'll let down the hedge you can touch his health touch his skin touch his bone touch his flesh and the Bible says boils came upon the body of Job. he scraped them in the dust but we still see him not charging God we still not see him selling out because Job was convinced 
when I make a commitment, when I give an allegiance, and it's God, and it's God that's involved. There is no better offer than what I already retain. Somebody hear me today because there have been a multitude too many illustrations and examples that we don't have time to talk about of people that said they were committed of people that said they were sold out to God but somewhere in their walk in the relationship an OBO a better offer to their mind's intellect a better offer to the sweeping emotion of their heart came down the line and they sold out amen they sold out that which has no measure of value or worth in this world to the world someone say amen Amen. not going to hear anything new tonight but you'll hear something old amen I've often used I've often used amen in my life maybe because maybe that was me whenever I was a little younger but I've often used brother the priest when an older kid is trying to take advantage of a younger one you know the type of individual I'm talking about trying to trade the young kid three dollars or three quarters for a dollar hey buddy brother the priest has probably been that person hey buddy looky here you just got one dollar I got three quarters three quarters for my one dollar yeah well yeah I'll trade let's do it why Because as children, the emphasis is placed upon quantity more than value early in their education. I can count one, two, three, four, five. I can count, and I know six is higher than five. Quantity is there in their mind more so than value. Let me tell you, I think sometimes the same system has entered into the world of the church. Amen. And there's some unhealthy trades that are going on because you're dealing with people that don't understand value. They don't understand what they got. You know the people that's going around looking for antiques and going to all the yard sales looking for the deal? They're trying to find something underpriced. They're trying to find something that's a deal. In other words, it's more valuable than that, but they're selling it for less. Why are they doing that? They don't understand value. They don't understand what they got. That's right. That's the reason why these people are going around. They're sitting at those little sessions and they're starting to find out how much is this worth and they're finding in their attics that they are millionaires because of the antiques and heirlooms that have been given to them but they never knew it because they didn't understand the value of it. I'm here to tell this church tonight you need to understand the value of what you possess. Don't undersell it for that matter. Buy the truth and sell it not. It's too valuable. There's not a better offer to what you've already got there is no better offer hallelujah hallelujah it was that that chronic misunderstanding of value that brought a nation of Israel out from under a theocracy a God rule out from under a theocracy a God rule to be placed under a monarchy of the first king Saul 
Yes, other nations around them had a king, but you can't improve on God. I'll go on record saying you can't improve on God. You can't improve on his message. You can't improve on this truth. There's not a better. You got the best there is. So we enter then. We enter a time of the kings. A time that is perhaps a little better than most concerning the kings. That God has stationed in 2 Samuel 15 a king by the name of David who was attributed as a man that was after God's own heart serving in that capacity. David has a son. Many sons, but one in particular I wish to talk about. David has a son by the name of Absalom. The story of Absalom up to this point of time, if I may highlight it very briefly, is that Absalom has already killed his half-brother Amnon because Amnon took advantage of his sister Tamar. Absalom's already killed his half-brother. As a result of that, he has escaped to the land of Geshur. He has dwelt there already for three years, not being allowed to return home not being beckoned or asked even to come home. Finally, he is allowed. That hand and invitation is given for him to come back home to Jerusalem. But for two years, he remains at Jerusalem without ever being beckoned to the throne room of the king, which happened to be his dad. For two years, he's there prohibited from seeing and experiencing the presence of the king. Yet finally... We come upon the time frame when he has just recently received the allowance, amen, to get access back to his father, access back to the king. And so Absalom now, he's been gone, amen, outside of that realm, if you will, although back in Jerusalem for two years, he's really been separated from it for about five years five years not in the king's presence didn't have access to the king probably had to stay a good distance if you will from certain places just didn't want him around but now he's back in cahoots if you will he can meander among the gates of the city here and there and the bible tells the story of Absalom that Absalom would go down to the gate of the city and he would stand there and as the people of Israel would come to the king with controversy in their life, controversy with another brother, a controversy with another sister, some problem in their life, and they were taking it to the king as they were approaching the city where the king resided. There was Absalom at the city gate. And Absalom would call to them, say, hey, why don't you come over here for a little moment? What's going on? Well, we, we got a controversy. There's some problems between us and so-and-so. And see, what happens anytime you got controversy in your life, what you need to try to get an answer for, or at least what we as humans try to get an answer for, is am I right or wrong in my stand in the controversy? Right? I'm not saying always, but just preach with me for a little bit. A lot of times we're going to defend our place of being right. Whether we are or not. Am I doing all right? 
And so Absalom hears the controversy. They don't know if they're right or wrong. And the Bible says, according to Absalom, he was telling them, he said, your matters are good. Your matters are right. Well, honey, that appeals to somebody that's right in the middle of controversy. Whenever you're telling them, you can feel justified to feel the way you do. You're right. You're doing good. This matter is okay. And so that appealed to the heart of the people. If I could go a little step further, Absalom's telling these people that's part of the kingdom of David, you, honey, you're not being heard like you need to be heard. You're not being heard like you need to hurt. You're not getting justice done for this controversy. You know, him wanting you just to turn the other cheek or just make amends for something that you feel like someone else has done wrong, he's expecting too much from you. Yes, sir. All right. Come on, man. What's going on? I tell you what's going on. David's own son has become an enemy of his kingdom and an enemy of his kingship. And what's happening, he's standing outside the perimeter of the kingdom. People that are disgruntled and people that are upset. And he's starting to find, try to find their bargaining price. He's saying, you, you, you've honored and declared David to be your king and he's the renowned one and he's the great one. And whenever he starts telling them, hey, you know what? You are right in your matter. You're not being heard. You're not getting justice. There's just too much expected of you. You know what he's doing? He's seeing if he can find an OBO. In their story. The Bible says that Absalom did this. He practiced this almost on a daily thing. People had pledged their allegiance to the king, given their shoulder to the king, given their time, talent, and ability to the king. Now the enemy is there. It happened to be a son, but the enemy is there. And he's saying, I want to know if I'd offer you something else, would you take it? If I'd offer you something else, would you get on it? And the Bible says that Absalom stole the heart's of the people by doing this. In other words, he scratched them where they were itching. You might be flat firm today and say you don't have a or best offer, but let controversy enter your life. Let controversy enter your life. Let you, let you just listen to me. Let you get upset over something that was preached. And see if an OBO doesn't get in your claws. Let there be disgruntled spirits among the congregation. And let's not watch if all of a sudden where nothing's for sale, I'm contemplating some negotiation here. <clears throat> the story of Scripture. And I'll move on. Not my intention to belabor any points here tonight, but the portion of scripture is now. Absalom has went to Hebron. He's had a band of people that's come. He set all this up. And when we get to Hebron, you make declaration that, oh, King Absalom, that I am king. And it will be rallied about all throughout the people. And so Absalom was self appointed him as king. He had a good support. He had been mingling with the people, he'd been finding their best offers. He's bought a lot of people. 
And so he's proclaiming himself to be king. And David, seeing this and knowing this, not the people that's under his rule and reign and his protection, not wanting them to see evil, not wanting, he's trying to protect them. I don't believe it so much that David is afraid for himself as he is for his people. And so his choice to move on was for their protection. Not that he couldn't handle the issue, but he had the people to consider and so he's going to move on and the Bible says they're going to pass over the brook Kedron and in doing so there comes a man in verse number 19 by the name of Ittai Ittai is the Gittite Ittai is from the land of Gath Gath is the place where David who's now king had taken the life of Goliath who was from Gath so you know, in terms of friendliness, how friendly can you get or be whenever you were the one that killed the champion of from where this person was from? But this is Ittai the Gittai. So you understand the history that he has already somewhat with David is this is the man that killed our champion. Not only that, those of Gath and those of the Gittites, they were of the Philistine, amen, tribe and family, which the Philistines throughout Scripture we know, they're not necessarily on shaking hands and sitting down to dinner, amen, festivals with the Israelites. Uh, as far as that goes, they usually don't have much communication between one another outside of war. And they're rivals. I mean, they're big time rivals. They're enemies of one another. But Ittai is approaching David. The Bible says that David, whenever he spoke to Ittai, he was telling him, here is the heart of Ittai. Ittai saying, we're going over the brook Kedron too. David, we're following you. This doesn't make sense. David, we're following you, and wherever you go, that's where we're going to be. And David says, hey, why don't, you know what, David is even trying this man. He's making sure this man doesn't have an OBO in his claws. He says, you're calling me your king. Amen, you're respecting me as your king. You're going where I'm going, but I got to know that you're gonna be 100% loyal. I got to know that you're gonna be 100% sold out to me and this kingdom and these people. And so he tries to dissuade him. And he tells him, he says, let me tell you something. He says, you're a stranger. You're not an Israelite. You're not one of our blood. He says, you're a stranger. He said, for that matter, you're an exile. In other words, you've been banished from your own country. You've been banished. You've been driven away from your native land. And on top of all that, you just got here yesterday. Ittai, the history between me and you is I've killed you, champion. <clears throat> We've been notable rivals for years, your people and my people. You're a stranger. You don't even belong in this land, but they banished you. They banished you. They drove you away. And whenever you was driven away from them, the one that had been your enemy, you're making a friend. And you just got all of this happening as of yesterday it's not like we got five years under the belt here <laughs> we don't even got a year or a few months at time under the belt here our relationship is still somewhat young but in this young bred relationship Ittai is saying we once were enemies but now we come as friends because where I used to be no longer wants me 
where I used to be that used to be opposing to you and still is the enemy of you, they no longer want me. And I found refuge under your hand. And I know this just all happened as early as yesterday. But I'm making a pledge right now that my commitment's to you. Somebody hear me right now. We all lived in a society, in a world, that we lived in a world, amen, that was an enemy and opposition to our king and our God. There we lived in rival worlds. We lived in worlds that were strange to one another, that were in opposition to one another. And we have in many instances become an exile of that country. It's banished us. It's wrote us off. It's shook the dust off its heels concerning us. But you know what? We went to the house of what once was our enemy and we found refuge. And whether it's one day, five years, or twenty years, there should be a pledging of our allegiance and our commitment to the king that says I don't care if it's just been one day I don't have an or best offer mentality in my life somebody needs we expect the one that's been in this thing and I feel like my voice is going or something we got to expect something's going on in the life of an individual that if they've been 30 years in this thing honey they're pretty stuck you know they're with it they're going to continue with it they've been here they're always going to be here that doesn't have to just be the mentality of somebody that's been around this thing for 30 years but the moment you cross over the moment you step over the line the moment that that thing that was your enemy becomes your friend God and you step over that line you can have the same mentality as that 30 year old Christian and say listen in here this is not a or best offer mentality I'm going to be in this thing till the end I'm going to last through generations come high or low I'm staying and I'm standing someone say yes Obio, Obo. See, it is a common occurrence, and I'm sounding good right here, so please don't touch anything. And I say that in the sense of volume, I'm not saying that I sound good. It's a common occurrence around our house. Every, every year we have a garage sale, if not twice in a year. We have a garage sale. Amen. People come in, and I've seen this throughout the years that we've had garage sale, although I'm not intimately involved except for setting up tables and getting the stuff in there. Outside of that, I really kind of hate them. I like the kickback of the money, but I hate all the work that's involved. So I leave that to the chief executive officer, Sister McGee. And if there's ever a lady that knows how to put on a yard sale, she can. She can make more money than a yard sale than some people can from a consignment shop. I'm here to tell you right now. It's a gift. But there's been people who come into our garage sale. And of course, within the garage, there's more items there than just what have a tag on them. There are items in my garage that I wish to keep still yet for a few years. There was not a tag on them when we had the garage sale. Yet inevitably, I've known people to ask, how much would you take for that chainsaw? 
would you take for that toolbox or that battery charger? I don't have a tag on it. But they don't care. They pose the question just to see if we have any inkling of negotiation. There's been times, Brother Mason, and I know, because over the years, I don't know if she's ever done this, not to my mind recollection, but maybe so, because we've had them for a few years now, and you know sometimes you get questions about the same garbage, or good stuff, mind you. (laughs) But I've been in places whenever we've been on our little vendettas of yard sale. But people had plainly hanging on something, a tag, but it wasn't how much it was. It stated very clearly, not for sale. And there's Pappy over there that's, you know, 70 some odd years old. And, or it could be someone young like my wife. And they're asking, how much would you take for it? N-O-T, F-O-R-S-A-L-E. Not for sale. Listen to me now. But the true trial of the label is not the label itself, but in being able to combat the request of whether or not it's for sale. No, 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 no. Somebody's not hearing me right now. Put not for sale on whatever you want to put not for sale. But will it still stand as so when there's a vine of the attention for an exchange? Somebody's not heard me yet. You could put on there, not going to take a million dollars, not going to take so and so. But if the offer would come across the table that would strike a chord with you, that would make you second guess whether or not you should keep it or let go of it, then honey, it's truly not for sale in your category. I'm going on with Jesus just the same. Lie about me. All this. I'm going on with Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm staying in it. That's a great label. That's a great testimony. Flagrant words to put out there. But you wait till the enemy of your soul starts trying to negotiate. And if you're willing to enter into a place, no, I wouldn't take that, but I... Then it was improperly labeled from the beginning. Somewhere along the line, maybe in the fine print, we had an OBO if the conditions were just right. Someone say amen. I don't believe I've ever seen in any of the classified ads, thrifty nickels, or the computer online ads. I don't think ever in my life I've ever seen one of the ads that said, not for sale OBO. I've never seen anybody make an ad that said it's not for sale or best offer. But somehow, that's exactly how some of our commitments are categorized. It's not for sale. But if the right thing comes along, or the right man, or the right girl, or the right opportunity, or the right thing that just would coax me just right comes along, then honey, it's all for sale. 
There's people that walk around in life with that type of mentality. They don't have to have for sale on anything they got. But if the price would be right for anything they had, they would sell it in a moment. And we have the same type of mentality of people that walk around in church. They might not have a label for on, uh, uh, that says for sale on anything they got in this Christian life. But if the right opportunity, the right condition was met, honey, at a moment's notice, they would drop it all and go after the better so-called. Ittai had a mindset that he, he wasn't just speaking for himself. He had 600 people, the Kittites, that were with him, that had found that refuge under the hand of David, King David. Their mindset was where the king is, where the king was. That's where we're going to be, even if it meant that in life or in death. We're with the king. If you'll remember the story, after Naomi had sojourned in the land of Moab, got herself a couple of son-in-laws and lost her husband and those two son-in-laws and left with a couple of uh, daughter-in-laws that were Moabites. Naomi sees she's going to return back to Bethlehem, Judah because she hears uh, of some bread back in the land and she's going to go and she's going to take her leave from Moab that she's been at for 10 years that her daughter-in-laws cry out to her and say, we're going back with you, Naomi. That's where we're headed. But Naomi starts to try them to see if they had an orbit offer mentality and she says girls why don't you go back to your home why don't you go back to your mother's house why don't you go back to your family and go back to your gods and, and you'll be given rest there amen from the sorrow of having left amen your husband's having left by way of death and the Bible says amen whenever this happens that they both cry out and they tell we're not going we're, we're staying everything's going to be well but number two comes along she says to him girls I don't have any more sons I don't have any more sons to be your husbands. If you would even, if I would find a man today and get pregnant and give birth to a baby nine months later and you'd wait for him to be grown, would you even wait that? I don't have another son. I, I, I don't have anything to offer you at this point. I don't know the things that I'm going to face whenever I go back home. And the Bible says whenever Orpha, amen, heard that, that she kissed her mother-in-law and she went back to her family and went back to her gods. Why? Orpha had an OBO, amen, in her claws. She had or a better offer. In other words, she says, no, 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 no. No, thank you. I think it would just be best if I stayed home. But you know what the Bible says? Ruth was of a different mentality. The Bible says that she clave to her mother-in-law and although Naomi still tried to dissuade her and discourage her Ruth said entreat me not to leave you where I you go I go where you lodge I lodge amen where you're buried that's where I'm going to be buried your God is going to be my God why because Ruth had in her mentality I'm dedicated I'm sold out to your God I'm sold out to your people and there is no better offer. I've lived life before you come in here with the gods of my world. There is no better offer. In Ruth's reply, she basically was conveying to her mother-in-law that her decision to go 
to adopt different ways from her native land was non-negotiable. Someone say amen. If you'll stand with me, I'll close here. I'll wrap this thing up. Many years ago, Brother Mason, you may come. Many years ago, Spaniards were besieging the little town of St. Quentin on the frontiers of France. This little town was in ruins. Many of the people in this little town were sick with fever. There had been a famine, and there was not very many supplies, not very much food. Thoughts of treason even existed among many of the townspeople. One day the Spanish army shot over the walls a shower of arrows. Attached to the arrows were little slips of parchment promising this, promising the inhabitants, Bishop, that if they would surrender their lives and property, that they would be spared. The governor of this quaint little town of St. Quentin where things just were in a little bit of an upheaval, not too promising at the time. There's one great leader. As his sole solitary answer to all their inducements to surrender, he took a piece of parchment. He tied it to a javelin and wrote on the parchment two words. Regim Habemus, which is translated, We have a king. And hurled it back into the camp of the enemy. His one answer to all of their pleas for exchange <laughs> surrender yourself into property. And your life will be safe. Sounds pretty appealing in a land of famine, fever, and sickness. But he sent just two words back that says, We have a king. Folks, that should be our reply to the negotiations that try to allure the church that try to allure the people of God even though we have our signs posted not for sale. That should be our reply. What, what are you talking about? What type of exchange? What type of offer are you putting on the table? Our plea needs to be very simple. We've got a king. The church has a king. We as individuals have a king. And our commitment should be steadfast. And our commitment should be unmovable to this King of kings and this Lord of lords. This is not we have a King OBO. <laughs> this is not we have a King, but if a better offer comes by, then we'll swing on that. There's not a better offer, ladies and gentlemen, than what we've already got here tonight. And the sooner that we sell out to that, hear me, the sooner we sell out to that, 
the lesser the request for negotiation of sale will come knocking on your door. Because the label doesn't do it enough. What starts getting in the mind of the people, imagine a few people looking at the item that plainly states not for sale. And Joe asked, would you take such and such for it? And hear the owner's reply, sir, it's not for sale. Now, if two other people was wondering if they might get in on the negotiation, they're going to be a little less likely in saying anything if the person just underscored the fact of what the label said. It's not for sale. But if you go and say, well, let me think about it. Well, then Beulah's going to jump in and say, well, I'll give you such and such for it. You open your life up to negotiation. When you say, I'll think about it, I'll consider it. What we need to hear clearly from us and from the church is this. We have a king. What about, what do you think about this? Sorry, we have a king. But would you if this, sorry, we have a king. <laughs> it had been very easy. David's leaving his homeland right now. I mean, he's king of this place and he's escaping. It's troublesome times. Wouldn't you just like to stay, you know, where there might be some security? Even in the upheaval of our lives, folks, there is even in the upheaval sometimes that takes place in the church and your personal life serving the Lord. Even in that, as they oftentimes said, the worst times in the church are still better than the best times. It's bad. That's okay. I know you're trying to take advantage of where I am at right now, but there's no better offer. We still have a king. He's not abdicated his throne. Oh, these altars are open tonight. I wish there would be some men and women around here. I don't care how long you've been in the church. I wish there'd be some. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.